Welcome to Candid Catholic Convos, a program brought to you by the Catholic Diocese of Harrisburg. Our mission is to humanize the church and help you to grow in your faith, love, and understanding. I'm your host, Rachel Trochet, a cradle Catholic who's only human and struggled with faith on more than one occasion. Each week, you'll hear engaging, down-to-earth interviews and actionable strategies you can implement into your life with ease to help you grow closer to God. If you're ready to open your heart and step fully into the person God created you to be, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Candid Catholic Convos. The other day, I went over to my parents' house. They're a huge help with childcare, and I'm lucky I don't live far, so I'm over there pretty often. My dad loves to watch the news and the stock market, so if it isn't a show for my boys, it's usually one of those two topics on TV when I get there. But this day, as a refreshing change of pace, he was watching M.A.S.H. It was a scene where Captain Hawkeye Pierce is operating on a patient near death, and another doctor in the room says, Everyone knows war is hell. Hawkeye responds, War isn't hell. War is war, and hell is hell. And of the two, war is a lot worse. The army chaplain hears this and chimes in. Well, how do you figure, Hawkeye? Easy, father, he says. Tell me, who goes to hell? Sinners, I believe. Exactly. There are no innocent bystanders in hell. War is chock full of them. Little kids cripples, old ladies. In fact, except for some of the brass, almost everyone involved is an innocent bystander. I think about this quote often, especially in the last eight weeks, because it has been eight weeks since Russia invaded Ukraine. Eight long and terrifying weeks for the Ukrainian people. According to Kyiv Post, a United Nations refugee agency says more than 4.5 million Ukrainian refugees have now fled their country. 90% of those who left are women and children. Unconfirmed reports of chemical weapon usage in Mariupol have surfaced, stating Russia used a, quote, unknown substance and people are suffering from respiratory failure. Mass graves are being discovered in Buka filled with civilians, many of which are burned. It's one thing to see it on the news and think, wow, that's terrible for them, and continue living our lives here. Or maybe you're like me, and you haven't seen it on the news, other than a brief political talking in circles discussion before they're on to the next big thing in pop culture. It's another thing altogether to feel yourself living two complex, very real lives, one here in the safety of our country and one in the life you've built overseas. That's what Matthew Kenedits does. Born and raised in the Diocese of Harrisburg before cultivating a life of literature and pride for his Ukrainian heritage by teaching at Ukrainian Catholic University, Matthew never in a million years believed a war was coming. It didn't seem real. It still doesn't. 
I had the honor of speaking with him via Zoom last week about his experiences and what his students who are still there are going through. Please be advised that some of what you're about to listen to may be hard to hear, but we decided to leave this episode largely unedited because of its gravity and the need for awareness. Matthew, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm excited to have you on the program and hear your insights. Could you sure. t- could you tell me a little bit about yourself, like your background? Of course. So uh, my name is Matthew Kinnitz. Um My family actually came from the Carpathian Mountains regions of Ukraine uh, around 1915 or so, so about you know, maybe about 110 years ago. Um, and they settled in northeastern Pennsylvania, uh, mostly in a town called Centralia, which is a town that no longer exists. Uh, the Diocese of Harrisburg actually had a church in that town, St. Ignatius. Um, and so the two the two Catholic churches in town were St. Ignatius on one hill, and then my church, which was the is the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary, or in the Eastern Church, we refer to it as the Dormition of the Mother of God, uh, Ukrainian Catholic Church on the other hill. And that church is still existing and still functioning. Uh, every Sunday, there's, there's divine liturgy there. Um, and so I was raised in a neighboring town of Ashland. And, you know, I grew up, I went to Catholic school, Holy Spirit school in, in Mount Carmel, uh, which no longer exists. Um, and then I went to local public high school, went to university, and fell in love with teaching. You know, I taught high school, I taught undergraduate level, uh, roughly for nine years or so uh, in the immediate area in Northeastern Pennsylvania. And then I moved to Chicago uh, for six years. And I taught there for three years. Um, and I left teaching because one of the priests at our church, Otets Miron Panchuk, uh, Father Myron, he lost both of his legs due to diabetes. And so I ended up moving in with him to, to take care of him, cook for him, clean for him, and to take him places and to help him out. And, um, you know, it was really him. He, he taught me. He was the first priest that I met when I moved to Chicago. And he reminded me of a, a very close priest friend of mine who actually just died. Uh, he was a priest in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, Father Daniel Gorovich. And um, Father Myron really acted as, as a mentor for me and, and a very strong spiritual father. And he taught me a lot about Ukraine and her people, uh, primarily because he was doing his dissertation. Uh, he was getting his doctorate in psychology and his dissertation was focused on the concept of dreams, but more specifically dreams as a byproduct of the traumas that were experienced by Ukrainian people in the 20th century specifically Holodomor, which is the forced famine uh, that Stalin enacted on Ukrainian people that killed between 10 to 12 million Ukrainians um, in that genocide. Um, that occurred between the years 1932 and 1933. Well, there were three different three different stages, say, but the main one was 1932 to 1933. And then also Chernobyl, uh, the disaster, the nuclear power plant disaster that occurred on April 24th, 1986. And, um, I edited his dissertation you know, multiple times, read through it with him, helped him with some research, and it really impacted me in a very, very powerful way. Um, and then in March of 2019, I came home and I found Miran, Miran had died. He had a massive heart attack. 
Um, and so it was one of those things where I kind of assessed my life and thought, what now? You know, where to? Where do I go? And uh, that summer, I had worked for a program through Johns Hopkins University, uh, their Center for Talented Youth. And so I, I served as an academic dean for them. And every year in the summer, the last Sunday of July, we have our Ukrainian Seminary Day Festival in Minersville, Pennsylvania. And we, um, our, our new Archbishop at the time, our new Metropolitan, uh, Boris, is the president of Ukrainian Catholic University in Lviv. And so I met with him and I, I you know, sort of spoke with him and said, I'd like to go to Ukraine and work on my Ukrainian and, uh, you know, really sort of fine tune that. And the next day he emailed, well, who is now my department chair, my boss, and said, bring this guy over, hire this guy. And so the next thing you know, the end of August, I was on a plane to, to Lviv, Ukraine, uh, to Ukrainian Catholic University, which is where I've been for the past three years, working and teaching English uh, to students there. Uh, originally, I was supposed to be, what I thought was going to be teaching more like ESL classes, but when I got there, I was totally blown away by the abilities and skills that my students possessed. A lot of them spoke English better than, than people in America. And so um, I quickly transformed my, my program to teach a lot of literature, teach some philosophical texts. And so, you know, my, my regular English course, which is, you know, basically speaking, writing, listening, um, and reading, really kind of runs almost like an upper level elective you would find in an English program here in America. Uh, and then since then, my, uh, my, my course offerings have expanded to, uh, last spring I started offering a literary theory and criticism course, which would be sort of like a graduate level philosophy course here in America. And this is my third semester teaching it. And then this past January, one of my current students asked me if I would consider uh, developing and teaching an African-American literature course. And so I did do that for this spring as well. So I have quite a variety of, of courses and uh, things that I do uh, at the university over there. That sounds incredibly rewarding. And I love how it came full circle for you from your heritage all the way to your current occupation. I think that's incredible. What's your current situation look like? Are you still able to teach yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting question. I, I came back to America on February 14th. Um, I had received so many phone calls from family and friends, and, and it was just nonstop. Everybody was worried, you know, about the, the Russian offensive. And, I mean, honestly, I wasn't worried. Uh, at the end of January, I gave an interview to Toyemisto, your city in, in, in Lviv, talking about how I had no plans to leave Ukraine. And I, I was resolved to the fact that I would stay and, you know, weather out whatever came. And the volume of phone calls was just so high. And so I would work all day. And I had a really busy schedule this semester. I, I was just constantly on the go. And so I, you know, was doing what I was doing at the university. And then I'd be on the phone all night with people in America. And it was actually my former students, you know, when they saw me, they said, you got to go home, just go home for two weeks. You can always come back. And, you know, they were really worried about me. <laughs> and so, and, and, you know, other people could see you better than you see yourself sometimes. 
And so I took their advice and I got a plane ticket on February 12th because even, you know, my mother called me on February 11th crying, you know, the Russians are going to come. And, and I had just been at the opera. I have two students that I taught who actually volunteered to be my assistants this year because I, I just, I have a lot of students. A lot of students want to be in my classes. And so they recognized kind of the, the stress that I had in terms of the volume of work. And they said, hey, we'll help you out you know, with grading and whatever you need. And so I had taken them to the opera sort of as a thank you for volunteering their time. And we went to dinner in the city. And, and I'm saying, I'm standing in Center City, Lviv, and I'm like, I, I was just at the opera. I was just, life is normal here. And it was kind of crazy to think that, you know, this was a situation that everyone had envisioned. And so I bought a plane ticket the next night. I came home on the 14th. And little did I ever think that the war would start. And uh, I'm actually right now, I'm at my cousin's house in Allentown, Pennsylvania. And I remember it just like it was yesterday. I came down to get my hair cut. His sister has a salon. So I went there to get my hair cut with my little nephew, Michael. And uh, we, we both got our haircuts together. And I went for dinner. And I came back to the house here. And we were just sitting and talking and we were watching the news. And all of a sudden they were showing a correspondent in Kiev and a correspondent in Kharkiv. And all of a sudden at 10 o'clock at night, they said, oh, we heard blasts. And, you know, the next thing you know, the reports started coming on that, that Russia was invading Ukraine. And so, and it was, it was crazy for me because February 24th is my birthday. And so even my cousins, so the war started on my birthday in Ukraine. It was still two hours until my birthday here in America. And even my cousins were kind of weird. They're like, well, how do we wish Matthew a happy birthday when you know this is going on? And so, I mean, the past, it's almost seven weeks now. This, this Thursday, it'll be seven weeks. Um, the past seven weeks have just been absolutely surreal. Um, and I just kind of feel like I'm in a daze. Most, most of the time, uh, every day presents new trauma. And, you know, I'm in very, very close connection with a lot of people in Ukraine. I mean, hundreds, if not thousands of people daily. Um, you know, I, I sent group messages out to my, my current classes and my former classes. We have our group chats and telegrams. So I, I send them a daily video uh, just to let them know that I'm thinking about them and, and to give them some words of inspiration and encouragement uh, or to tell a little anecdote or something like that. Something to something, you know, I don't know, just just to stay in touch, to stay in contact, because I mean, it's virtually impossible to maintain individual contact with that amount of people. But it's just been it's just been really, really surreal watching all of this happen. And, you know, there's also the feeling of helplessness where I, you know, I'm here in America and it, it's I, I recognize, you know, the fact that I'm safe and, you know, I'm grateful for that. But then there's also this burning desire in me to be there uh, because people that I've come to know and I've come to love and I've come to consider family over the past three years are every day just waiting to see what's going to happen. And even when I'm in faculty meetings in Zoom or I'm in classes on Zoom, you know, I, I just want to hug people. I just want to, you know, because it, it's, it's, it's very strange to be honest with you in, in terms of, in terms of the communication, because Nothing in my, my teaching career or my administrative career 
has prepared me for dealing with a situation like this. There, there is no training. There is no, I, I don't even know how to, to explain it in adequate words. So to answer your question, um, I am having classes, and, um, but it's, it's not classes as I would normally have them. Uh, they're severely modified. I might get one half to two thirds of my students in each class because students are volunteering. Uh, they're working with journalists and translating information for them. Uh, they're, they're, they're working toward humanitarian causes over in Ukraine. They're housing people who have been displaced within Ukraine. I mean, there's over 10 million people, you know, 4 million people are, are displaced outside of Ukraine and about six, 7 million people are displaced within Ukraine. And so oh, in Lviv, you know, there's over a million people. It's a city with about 800,000 people uh, population, but right now it's, it's over a million people that are there. And so um, it's, it's difficult to have class. So for my regular classes, I'm just doing sort of a creative writing thing where the text that we use for class is generated by my students, as opposed to having them read and analyze, because it's, it's really hard to focus. It's really hard to concentrate, even for me, um, on text. So um, even my students have commented, you know, it's very difficult to read, you know, because I teach a lot of empathy in terms of uh, dissecting a text and understanding a character's position, a character's plight. And, you know, even my students have commented, it's very, very hard to read empathetically, either when you're unfeeling because of the war going on or because every minute you are exposed to the tragedies and horrors that this war is bringing. And so it's really, really difficult to, to read a text and to dissect it, to understand from that perspective. So we do have classes, the university, we're gonna have grades, you know, it's gonna be, it's gonna be interesting to see how that works out. Um, but it's, um, because students are scattered too. I mean, a lot of my female students, especially are in various countries in Europe or in Turkey. Um, and so they, you know, they went with their mothers and their siblings, their younger siblings, and they had to leave their fathers or their older brothers, you know, behind. And so there's a lot of, it's not just physical displacement. There's a lot of psychological and emotional displacement as well. And so, uh, even on Tuesdays, like today's Tuesday. So a therapist friend of mine from Chicago. I, I got him to offer group counseling sessions, group therapy sessions. And so today at 1.30 our time, uh, we'll have a group therapy session again. It's every Tuesday. And so it's sort of a way for people, and maybe seven or eight people join. You know, one of my colleagues joins from time to time, and six, seven of my students typically join. But it's important that, for me anyway, that they see that they're not alone in this, you know, that they, you know, feelings of, anger, the feelings of fear, uh, the feelings of resentment, you know, it's not a singular experience, you know, that it's a shared experience, and we kind of process through that together. That's amazing. I'm really kind of floored to hear that you're still able to offer that and offer some sense of normalcy, because you're right, like, um, and we thought COVID was interesting. This is proving even more challenging I can't even imagine. Um, yes. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the, um, and that's what a lot of people are talking about. They're like, we just got over COVID. 
and now we have this. I mean, it's and people are dealing with real situations. You know, when the um, Yavori military base was was attacked several weeks ago, um, one of my students emailed me and she said, "I'm going to need some time off because I'm staying in Yavori and I'm okay." But the missile, one of the missiles, went right into the the area where my father was staying. And it took them 15 hours to find his body, and um, and he was he died, and you know she apologized for any inconvenience that it might cause me, and I just sat and cried, you know, for a half an hour because I'm thinking, how do I respond to this email? What do I say? It's, and at this at this at this juncture, you know, I mean, of course, words like "I'm sorry for your loss" mean something, but it's. Um, it's deeper than that. You know, when you look at the senselessness of death and you look at, you know, you look at the situations that are happening um, in Ukraine. I mean, I just got another message from another student uh, the other day where um, she, uh, I, I sent a message to my classes just to make sure everybody was still um, with class or, you know, if they transferred or what they're doing. And she sent me a message and said, I've been unable to attend the last few weeks of course due to the fact that I have a very difficult family situation. My grandmother died and my father went missing. I also lost a few of my friends because of the war. I am now taking care of another grandmother as she is sick. I'm so sorry that I caused you any inconvenience due to my absence. And again, you know, and these are just a sampling of, you know, very personal, very real, an issue is too light of a word to use, but I'm just at a loss for any other words right now, but that people are facing. Um, and it's hard for me because here, um, even, even within some familial circumstances, people don't understand what it is that I do. And people will say, you know, well, you know, you need to get over Ukraine, you're in America, you need to focus on being in America now. And for me, it's, I'm not dealing with talking heads on a screen. I'm not dealing with reading news reports in the newspaper or, you know, on whatever Apple News sends me. Um, I'm dealing with living, breathing human beings, people that I've eaten with, people that I've walked with, people that I've, I've shared time with in, in personal space, people that I, I just interacted with. I mean, in Lviv, when I was at Ukrainian Catholic University, I would literally interact with hundreds of people a day. You know, my day would go from six, seven o'clock in the morning, sometimes until two, three o'clock in the morning, um, because people are, are, um, you know, I'm an American, and so that was that was a big thing. But pe people have issues because even before this, you know, I'd always comment how, and this was kind of the crux of Father Myron's dissertation. In Ukraine, things like depression, anxiety, they don't exist. You know, people, people just sort of swept them under the carpet. And so in Myron's work, he was talking about how the traumas of the 20th century, because they were suppressed, not just by the Russians, but also by the Ukrainian people. They, they, didn't, they didn't deal with them. They didn't process them. Um, and they just kind of moved on from them. And, you know, Myron's hypothesis was that the trauma becomes generational then. It's not just, I experience it, it's my trauma, but I carry that trauma with me 
and it gets handed down almost genetically uh, from generation to generation. And so I did a lot of work when I was there. Uh, you can't imagine how many students would come to me with familial problems, relationship problems, uh, just feelings of inadequacy, feelings of being overwhelmed. And so I wasn't just an English teacher there. I was a resource. I was a counselor. I was I was a friend. I was somebody that that people confided in. I was, and there are things that that people told me that just just floored me, that just shocked me. And not all the time in a bad way, but you know, it, it's so in, in terms of dealing with this on a personal level for me, it, it goes well beyond that of just a simple uh, teacher who traveled to another country, you know, to, to teach English, because I was a lot more than that to a lot of people over there. Absolutely. They were real people with real relationships and real problems, and you were a real source of comfort for them. Most definitely, yeah, most definitely. We've unfortunately run out of time, but if you'd like to hear more, make sure you tune in again next week when we'll be continuing our conversation with Matthew Kinetics. For more information on how you can contribute to humanitarian efforts in Ukraine, visit our website at hbgdiocese.org. Thank you so much for listening. Our goal at the Diocese of Harrisburg is to walk with you on your faith journey. So if this episode resonated with you in any way, the easiest way to show your appreciation is by sharing this program with your network or by leaving a review on your listening platform. You can also support us financially by making a donation online at hbgdiocese.org slash D-A-C and clicking the make a donation button. Thanks again, and we'll see you at church on Sunday. I'm pregnant. I can't focus What am I going to do with my baby? My kids are hungry. I can't work. I'm scared. I can't go home. Can somebody somebody help help me? In desperate times, there's a place for hope. Catholic Charities. We help families, children, and those in crisis throughout central Pennsylvania, regardless of your faith. Providing help. Creating hope. Catholic Charities. Parents want the best education possible for their children. Catholic schools offer parents an affordable, high-quality option that educates the whole child, mind, body, and spirit. Catholic schools have high graduation rates. In the Diocese of Harrisburg, over 98% of our students graduate from high school. Locally, these graduates are offered over $40 million in scholarship funds. Learn more at a Catholic school near you. Or visit GoCatholicSchools.org. all over America, what have you done for your marriage today? Boy, I gave a huge hug this morning, like a really big squeeze that lasted forever. Great kiss. Those things are really important. <laughs> she got a really short haircut that she hated, and I wrote her a note and put it up on the mirror saying that she was a cute girl with cute hair. What have I done for my marriage today? We've actually organized a date night tonight. What have I done for my marriage today? Wow, that is a great question. Uh, I took the baby while she worked. I got up with the baby while he slept. Yeah. (laughs) Today, I sent an email to my husband, and I said, you rock. Well, I've done today what I usually do, and that is obey. I listened to my wife uh, when we talked on the telephone today. She really likes it when I listen. What have you done for your marriage today? Little things can make a big difference. For ideas, go to foryourmarriage.org. A message from the Catholic Communication Campaign.